Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's episode is with Lisa Scottolini, New York Times bestselling author of 35 novels with her newest book that hit the New York Times bestsellers list instantly being Loyalty. It's an incredible book that we dive into a little bit later on in the episode. Before that, we talk about something that we both truly adore, which is animals, specifically our respective senior dogs. Hers was sitting on her lap. Mine was sitting behind me the whole time. And I know this is not a video podcast, but I just know that our dogs were integral to this conversation. Uh, One little quick note about the conversation. We were both enjoying ourselves so much that there's a little talking over each other that occurs I just want to make you aware of that as a podcast host. I try my best never to talk over a guest, but we were just both so giddy that it happened a few times. So I just want to let you know, uh, Lisa and I had a fantastic conversation, really bonded over, again, our mutual love of animals. So I I think you're really going to enjoy this, whether you have read every single thing Lisa has ever written or you are just hearing about one of her books, maybe for the first time, maybe it's a genre you don't normally dive into. This conversation is going to just build a place in your heart for Lisa and her stories. I think you're truly going to adore it. Uh, Before we get to the conversation, I want to offer a quick book recommendation. Uh, This one is an oldie, but a goodie. I want to recommend Beasts of Extraordinary Circumstance by Ruth Emmy Lang. Uh, It is the story of Waylon Gray, who was orphaned and raised by wolves, and he is the proud owner of a horned pig named Merlin. Uh, He single-handedly stopped a tornado on a stormy Christmas day in Oklahoma, and he started to realize that there might be something just a little bit different about him. That tornado was actually the first of like many strange things that follows Waylon from town to town. Uh, He doesn't really like to take credit for these things, but it just seems to have these amazing powers uh, and things tend to manifest themselves at inopportune times and places. Uh, So it's uh, a story of Waylon trying to come to terms with these unique abilities and how they can either be good or bad, depending on the moment in his life that they come up. It tells the story uh, of Waylon Gray from like the perspective of people who knew him and loved him. So kind of almost like a, of think of it as like a Daisy Jones type of a situation where there's a lot of different perspectives about Waylon's story. Really, really great. I think you're really, really going to love it. That's Beasts of Extraordinary Circumstance by Ruth Emmy Lang. 
And as always, if you'd like any other recommendations from me, you can always email me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. There you can send me any passions that you have. I love hearing those. And I give a random bookshop.org gift card to uh, one person every single month who does that. Also, if you want to leave me a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast, that does help other bookish people find me just a little bit more easily. All right, that is enough of the housekeeping. I'm not going to keep you here any longer. I am so excited to say I hope you enjoy this episode of Passions and Prologues with Lisa Scottolini, author of Loyalty. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, I am super excited to ask this question. Lisa, what is something that you're passionate about that we're going to be talking about today? You know what I'm really, really passionate about? Mm. Animals. Yep. Love I it. Know, I know it sounds crazy. And I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> I hope they're interesting to you. But I think about it a lot because I live alone with animals. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not really alone. And I think, and that's, I guess, what I'm keying off of. That for me, you know, I have been divorced twice. And I am a single mom. My daughter grew up and became a novelist herself. Mm-hmm. But I, I, not everybody is lucky enough to have a partner or a husband or a wife. There are people who are divorced. There are people who are widowed. And I find myself in that position twice divorced and, and sort of going, you know, I love my life. I'm very grateful for a life in books for a million reasons. Mm-hmm. But I do think a little of your job on the planet besides doing good is to make yourself happy. Mm-hmm. And I found, I found myself... I've always had animals, but I, these animals that I have, I have three dogs. I have a cat who's 16. I just got a pony. I have chickens. I live, I moved to a farm to be around animals. And I actually have a complete life in animals now. And I couldn't be happier. I, I, I wake up every day. I can't believe I live here. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm so lucky. I, I, I feel that I'm very lucky in my job too. But the animals feel so much for me. The, and I said this to I said this to myself. I wrote it, and I said this sounds so stupid, but I will say it to you. Because mm-hmm. the, the revelation I had was that part of part of the grasping that we do in the world, and the wishing, and all the fiction, and the movies is always about trying to get love. Mm-hmm. And what I realized a little bit is that your heart feels full of love, whether you are getting it or you're giving it. Mm-hmm. And so I just realized that what was happening in my life, that I was giving it, not just to my daughter who grew up and moved to New York, but to these animals. Mm-hmm. And so they fill my heart with love, even though I don't have a date. Like, that sounds crazy. But that's really true. And when you start thinking that way about animals, and I won't preach, 
it changes everything about your life. Everything. I love this so much. First off, no one will, this is an audio podcast, so no one will see this, but right before we started recording, Lisa grabbed one of her senior dogs and in the background of my my room is my senior dog, Holden, who I've talked a lot about, but I, oh, so cute. I, I love, I feel this so much. Like I, it's actually something I haven't talked about on the podcast before, but I don't mind talking about it. I'm going through a divorce and like, and Aww. this, this little guy, my 13 year old Weimaraner, he was the first dog I ever got adam for for all the 13 years and like you're so right like there's such a unique like once in a lifetime relationship that you get to have with every single animal that you have but like this this pup has been with me since he was eight weeks old and like the especially the last you know year or so it's just this relationship where like you you will never be able to explain it to someone else they will never fully understand right but like he has seen me at my best of times. He has seen me at my worst of times and he has loved me in his own grumpy old man way unconditionally. Right. That's so right. Yeah. It's so right. And they, they, um, you know, there's a part of your life, like she's my oldest and she, I have her two sons mm-hmm. and, and she knows a, a certain part of my life. And like you say, you have ups and downs. They give you a structure mm-hmm. no matter what you get. You know, because I, I watch out for mental illness. I mean, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful, especially during COVID, especially yeah. when you're ready, you're so insular. You, there's never a you're going to stay in bed. You have horse. I, I have to feed a horse. <laughs> I have to feed these little guys who will come and lick my face and I sleep with them. Mm-hmm. And it's the best. Like, yeah. it's just they give, they give so much. And I think I love that the world is more open to it than it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, my lifetime, I remember like people, you'd cry over a dog, it's just a dog. No one says that anymore, but I'm not sure that everyone's as crazy as I am. <laughs> but I feel like a little from you, Adam, and I love that about you, son. <laughs> we are, I feel like we are kindred spirits. This, okay. So let me ask when. And it's so important. It's really important. It's not just nothing. It's the key to my life. Yeah. I, so when do I've you. never said, said out loud. I love this. When did you first, like, have you had animals all your life? Or I guess, like, when did you first discover this? Like I said, Holden, my pup over here, he, I had, I've had him since he was born. You know, he was eight, eight months old or eight weeks old rather, but he was my first dog. So I'm, I'm 37. He's 13. So I had him in my mid twenties. But before that, we had a cat growing up who was great, but it was like a family cat and nothing against her. I loved her, right? but it wasn't like my choice. So do you remember when you first were like, oh, I'm going to, I need to surround myself with animals to be like, to feel this love. I think we always had them, but I remember in college that I got a dog from rescue and uh, I went to the place in Philly. I'd never forget. This was Morris Animal Refuge and beautiful little puppies in there. And they said, um, I couldn't decide. They were all so cute. And they said, I said, I'll come back after lunch. I was with my roommates. And they said, if you come back from after lunch, they will be gone. I mean, and I, and I was like, okay. Then boom, I got bear. And then, so having a college dog was a thing, mm-hmm. you know, and that was so great for me because it got me through the graduate and try to find a job and all that stuff. And I, I'll never forget that. Dog. I'll never forget any of them. I, and you know, with the next stage, then you get a chicken and your mind gets blown <laughs> <laughs> because then you start to realize that the chicken knows you. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what's really key about this. The key thing is that animals are individuals. Mm-hmm. So you can tell people who have more than one cat or people with more than one dog, they get that. Oh yeah, this one's shy, this one's not. The real mind-blowing thing is to understand that the animals you think of as cows are each one different. Mm-hmm. Or horses, each one different. Chickens, 
each one different. They have personalities. Now, when you start to think that, you can never eat them. What mm-hmm. you just you stop instantly. I don't miss meat at all. I think it's horrifying. Yeah. I but that changed. And I said it was a life lesson for me because I also said, Lisa, the healthiest thing you can do in your life, in your life, is to live in a way that's consonant with what you believe. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you love animals, you're not you're not going to cause them to live in horror and misery and then kill them and ingest them. It's mm-hmm. so disgusting. You don't even miss it. Yeah. So, but it wasn't until the chickens that I realized, you know, you think dogs are different from chickens in that individuation way. They're not. Mm-hmm. I have shy chickens. I have outward chickens. I have chickens that want to cuddle. They know their names. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, my God. Uh, so anyway, you get the idea. I'm completely crazy now. <laughs> no, no, no. I will say <laughs> a few true. things. I am also not a meat eater. So right there with you. Totally get it. I don't have chickens, but I want to ask. So I adore my dog. I will yes. always have dogs. What was like, is chickens like the gateway animal for you? Because then you said horses, like, do you think that was the one where you're like, oh, if I can get chickens, I can now I can get a horse. Like, do you think that was the one? Because it's like, I, I, the example I will use again, people can't see me, but if they've seen photos of me, they know I have a lot of tattoos. And I feel like tattoos are a gateway thing. Like you get one, you're going to get two. <laughs> you get three. All right. Is chickens the, is chickens the gateway animal to get other animals? Such a good question. You're so brilliant. I do. It's probably a little like addictive because what I think what happens is when you get one dog, you realize that if you have to get up and feed one and walk one and do all the stuff you do, you might as well get two. Mm -hmm. And then that's what happens. I always thought of it as the Polly Pocket Syndrome. And I don't know why that is, but I remember I was raising my daughter and and it would say on the side, collect them all. Mm -hmm. And then she and I would joke that we wanted to collect them all. And so then basically you're Noah, you know, you've got like 500 animals all two by two. No one's around to stop me. I remember, I remember distinctly one night I was married to my second husband who I call thing too, when when I'm being nice. And I remember lying beside him and going, I could replace him and get a corgi. And I would be happier. (laughs) And then I did. (laughs) It was great. A corgi will fill up your life better than so many people. And then Mm -hmm. I was like, damn, this is excellent. And so I don't know which is the gateway, but I think a one dog will do it for you. And cats are also great. I love my cat. My cat is less than less. I mean, the cat's sixteen and still looks at me every day like she's never seen me before. I'm like, yeah. could you just throw me a little bit of love? But she doesn't. But I love her, and that's my theory. I, I love her. I love. Her. I love it. So I know what you mean. Like, <laughs> so Holden is he loves in his own way. Like he has to be in the same room as me. But if I were to go over, again, no one else other than Lisa can see this. If I were to go over and like sit with him on the couch he's on right now, he would look at me, stand up and go move away. Because like he he loves on his own terms. And it's one of those things where I know exactly what you mean. Where he's like, listen, I need to see you. I need to be present where you're present. I will follow you around all day. Do not cuddle with me. I am not a cuddly dog. It's simply not going to happen. Um, Isn't that so great? That's such a lesson, though. Like, you accept him for who he is. He has boundaries. You're not taking it personally. That's what I mean. There are some days that I want to take it personally. And I'm like, come on, man. Let me, like, lay on you. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. No. Um, Well, my Corgi would growl if she didn't want to be bothered. And my mm -hmm. daughter would always say, Corgis need their nappies. She just didn't want to be bothered while she was sleeping. I'm like that when I read. I don't want to be bothered when I'm reading. Just wait. Yeah. So let me ask a very important question. How do you go about naming your animals? Because 
I mentioned his name a couple times. It's Holden. Everyone assumes because I'm in the literary world that it's Holden Caulfield. I was going to say, which yeah. I actually hate Catcher in the Rye. He is named after a oh, Kevin Smith movie. In the Rye. I just never liked it, but he's named after a movie by Kevin Smith called Chasing Amy that I've loved since I was in high school. So I didn't think I remember Chasing Amy. Amy. Yeah. They so, use the C word in Amy. A whole bunch. They use it a whole bunch. A whole, I was like, uh-oh, we're breaking some barriers here. I remember <laughs> but, um, so when it comes to naming your animals, how, how does that process work for you? Like, what do you think through? Yeah, is it one of these, like, like, yeah, well, how do you go about that process? Adam, this is so great because this is all my daughter and I talk about. All we talk about is what the dog is doing at any given moment. And she is your age. She has a dog that is her first dog too. And she's coping with him getting older. But she's queen of names. I like am very dopey and a little blunt objecty. So I'm a little like Peach got her name because I thought she's such a peach. And so her name is actually She's a Peach, which is such a stupid name. And when she had the kid, the puppies... My daughter said, you know, why don't we just think about a theme? And I'm like, I can never think big like that. I'm always like, I like it. Give it to me. She said, well, let's name them all after American heroes. So we have one named Boone after Daniel Boone and one named Kit Carson and then Mm -hmm. one named Calamity Jane. But then the sad thing is you start reading more and you realize like these weren't really, you know, like they didn't do great things as heroes. Mm -hmm. And so you're less enlightened about your name your theme names, but we talk about names all the time. We name animals we don't have yet because we want to get an animal. But then what happens when you get the animal, the the animal gives you the name. Mm -hmm. Like she gave me peach. She is a total peach. And she'll sit on my lap all day long, but neither of her sons will. I I also love the idea of Lisa Scatolini, New York Times bestselling author, not thinking about big picture things. That's very funny to me. I just like that that concept. You know, it's true. Mm-hmm. It's what's your emotional reaction because they're all about emotion and love. Mm-hmm. So how did the horse come and... about? How did the horse come along? You know, that was also through my daughter, Francesca. She, when she, we were growing up, she, I, she just liked to, she, we, I, I took her to a summer camp that was a morning camp. So I went her in a minute. I would watch her go around in the circle and she gets that little young girl horse thing. Mm-hmm. And then she never loses it. And we love animals so much. And then I was like, why am I living in the suburbs when I could live anywhere? Mm-hmm. And it's also cheaper. So I moved to this big ass farm. And then we're like, well, you could have a horse in your backyard. Mm-hmm. And happily we did. And she and I would clean the barn. And it was a whole thing that we did for years and years. It was so fun. But then she grew up and she moved away. And then mommy needed a pony. Because I was like, what girl doesn't want a pony? Okay, you're in your 60s. But God, boy, I was cursed. But, you know, I, I, yeah. I want pony and so I got a pony last year and, I, and now that the weather's good and I got him during the winter unfortunately but now I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a terrible horseback rider but I just get on the back and I ride around with my girlfriends and all we do is bitch we call ourselves like hags on nags <laughs> <laughs> we just talk about our lives it's just my circle of friends it's just, I am <laughs> I'm obsessed I'm obsessed but you're getting this. all the info man I've never told anybody this people get it oh my god I, this is, I'm obsessed. I love this so much. So let Hags me. Hags on nags, fights again. Hags on uh, nags, lives to ride again. It's so funny. So funny. You don't uh, even go fast. You barely trot. So how would you say all of these pets that you have, all these animals that you've kind of like, you know, connected with over your lifetime, how or if, like, would you say they affect your writing process? Like, do you think they 
influence what you want to write about or maybe how you would phrase things? Like, how would you say there's, is there a connection between the two? There totally is because first off, they make me happier. So that's all there is to it. And I'm a total homebody. So I love it. Mm -hmm. The other thing that they do, and I've noticed it more and more as I've changed my consciousness about them. For example, Eternal was my first book of historical fiction. There's a cat in that. And I did I sort of did, what is the cat thinking? Because isn't that what you're thinking? All you, That's what my daughter and I, we know what are they thinking all the time. We talk about what they're thinking. We read their expressions. And I found myself doing that. I was like, Lisa, go with it. There's a great author, Italian, Elsa Morante, who is a seminal Italian author who wrote A Woman of Rome. She had a cat. I was like, you know, are you ripping off Morante? But really, I said, no, she was just out of her time. I'm finally catching up to Morante. And so weirdly, in Loyalty, which is the new book, and believe me, we don't have to talk about it, but I was like, Man, there's a character in there who lives alone in a cave, and he he believes he is the last Jew in Sicily. He might be because Jews have been driven from the island, mm-hmm. and he has three goats that he thinks of as his children. And I swear to God, I didn't intend it. I never know what I'm going to write. I never have a plan. I never have an outline. Believe me, Adam, if you're divorced twice, you were not working on a plan. Like you, <laughs> your plan plan might actually suck. If you don't have one, you suck at making plans. But I realized, Lisa, you are writing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I am. And I, I freaking love that character. And he obviously doesn't look like, but the soul of the way he relates to his animals. And it was very folkloric in a way. And it worked in the book because for historical fiction, basically set in the 1800s, you have to, you can't write it in a modern voice. Mm-hmm. Can't have contractions and all the like, yeah, right, all the stuff we say. And I wanted that folkloric touch. And I thought, there's something so elemental about the, our relationship to animals mm-hmm. that what, it was ever thus. Like, it really was ever thus. Mm-hmm. Although, I guess there were times when we regarded them more as chattel and were more inhumane to them. And those people, maybe they haven't changed their mind. I mean, there's still awful horrors that are perpetrated. But, and I still can never relate when I see people go, like, my dog doesn't go on the couch. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like, my dog doesn't get off the couch. Yeah. I'll sit on the floor, but whatever. Everybody can do what they want. But it's really, uh, what's the word that's more than elemental? It's primal. Mm-hmm. So it fills some primal need. And when those needs get met, you're a happier person. That's what I think. I, I really love that because I, when you mentioned, like you and Francesca talking about like, you know, what are they thinking right now? There's been so many times I... I'm just starting uh, working on a, I'm querying a novel right now and I'm working on a, a second one. Um, and there's been so many times when I'll be writing, I'll like look at Holden. Like, what do you think? And he of course gives me that dog look like, man, I'm 13, leave me alone. What do you want? <laughs> but like, I know exactly what you mean. And so I, it's not so different. Like the the writing process, like you said, it's very isolating and it's very secluded. And then of course you, you go out and you do stuff like this, where you talk to people all day long about random things, which I'm making you do. But like, <laughs> I love it. The process of writing is that very like isolated situation. And so when you look at, you know, an animal and you're like, it, it's kind of, you're left to wonder like, what are they thinking about? It's not so different when you're being like, okay, if I'm sitting here by myself trying to conjure something out of thin air, what are they thinking about? And it's like, all of a sudden you can kind of craft a narrative and then you can you could write could. something. Yeah. Good. And when and I found myself in loyalty when I'm writing about the goats. I don't have any goats. Now I want a goat. Mm. But but I was like, I felt myself drawn to that. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, 
Okay, I went with it first draft because first draft I let myself do anything. Second draft I had to take a lot of it out because I was Lisa. But if I were going to write about, I could write happily about animals all day long with the thinking. I'm wondering what she's thinking right now, looking out the window, mm-hmm. and it's just so funny and great and crazy. And I love it. I so love it. For so for loyalty, like you mentioned, you know, there's it's set in Sicily. There's all stuff with the mafia. There's like you said, there's like this this goat herder. There's all these different things happening. But you also said you don't really plan out what you're writing when right. you're writing it. So, you know, with it being historical fiction and there being aspects of the book that are very much based on like true things and true like aspects of society, how does right. that work for you? Is it something where just because of all of the reading and ex- life experience you've had, like you have a lot of this in your brain already, or I guess like, can you walk me through how you come up with a book this like rich and with so many plot lines and so many things going on? Oh, thank you. I know. I look at it now and I, and I hope, and I'm glad you asked that because I hope that people who are listening and want to write really take heart from this mm-hmm. because I love, what I love about always talking to you is I think you demystify this process mm-hmm. and the people who are doing it mm-hmm. and as it should be. You're a writer. I'm a writer. I hope people out there write. And I think a little, like I listened to the audiobook the other day of Loyalty and I couldn't even believe how good it was. And it's, I'm not taking credit because it was a complete performance. And I remembered all this stuff. And I just was like, how does that even happen? I don't even, I don't even know. I really think I did the research and then I went there. All I knew was that I had a main character who might be the first mafiosi in the world. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, how did the mafia come up? Then I went to, you know, and I just went around and took a lot of notes and videoed and it's all on my website. People can see it. Mm-hmm. I kind of forget the question because I think the process, the question is, what's your process? And my process is so like, I just took it all in. Mm-hmm. And then I came home on fire. Yeah. And I felt like, well, you couldn't just, then I learned about, like, I had the mafia guy, right? Then I have a guy who, uh, I learned about a secret organization in, Pal- in Palermo that were aristocrats who fight crime. I'm like, well, that's a cool thing. You got to have him. Mm-hmm. It was like going shopping at the food store and you think you're going in for butter and then you come out with like 300 things plus like pita chips. You're like, what? So that's what I was like. Then I'm like, oh my God, I go to Sicily and then I'm at a fishing village. I go, wait, this is, you can't tell Sicily only about Palermo. Then we got to have a single mother in a fishing village. You're a single mother. You should be able to write that. And then I learn about what happened to the Jews during the Inquisition. And I have a goat herd in a cave. And he's the last Jew in Sicily. And actually might be. And then you go, well, he's got goats. You have dogs. That's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really, and that really sounds all dopey. But what I really wanted to make it, the truth is that it's humble. It's mm-hmm. really you go and you go, well, let's try and make a story and hope to God. So loyalty is a story of four main characters. And and then they're going to intertwine. You're going to hope to God they intertwine. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how they would. And it makes a kind of an epic kind of, I think, adventure story about love and justice and family and all of these things. Yeah. Who knew? I, not me. Not me. <laughs> there's two things there I want to comment on that I, I, I love. I, I tend to think like two things about writing. One, I feel like so much of writing a good story is being aware of your surroundings before you start writing. Like exactly what you said. Like, yes, you can, I don't want to say anybody can come up with a great idea, but like anyone can think of an action, something that happens, whether it's a car accident or someone falls in love or someone falls out of love. What do they say? There's like seven stories in the whole, right. whatever it is. Right. But like, the the aspects that are in between that the 
you know, the, the countryside, like hearing a conversation between two people when you're sitting at a cafe, things that you want to implement, how you describe, you know, a, a, a lemon grove, like these different things. That's one aspect that I think you're, you're pointing out, like when you go places, you're aware of your surroundings. And I think that awareness is, is so elemental. And then like you mentioned the demystifying of the writing process. Ironically, I, I think of, there's this quote from Seth Rogen of all people, the like comedian. Yeah. He, he talks about how when he starts the writing process with like whenever he's writing a movie or whatever with someone, he basically, they both sit down with a notepad and they say, write a hundred ideas out. And he's basically like, when you write a hundred ideas, uh, 95 of them are probably going to be awful. He's like, but what you're doing is you're putting that you're, you're taking away the like glamour and like people think that they need, when they're writing a novel, they need to be like Neil Gaiman holding a quill pen in his perfect library <laughs> by candlelight. <laughs> yeah. You don't need those things. You just need to start writing. And so when you start writing, right. then you can keep writing. And, and I love that idea right. so much. And I believe that because I think it's really behavioral. And that's what it's good to say to people. That especially even if you have a day job, if you can write, if you write 100 words a day, your brain's going to work in the meantime. Mm-hmm. You know, I look for inspiration everywhere. Seth Rogen, I, I believe that I watch the arts. I go to the shows and movies. and TV. I recently read that Rick Rubin book called The Creative Way. Mm-hmm. You know, it always comes down to, he sort of makes this point. I really like it. I recommended it to my daughter and she loved it too. A little, a little zen like be here now. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of what you're saying. So that and 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 I will tell you physically for people who are listening when to write. I basically go first chapter of loyalty is a kid gets kidnapped from Palermo, and he gets sent to a madhouse, put in a madhouse. Now the next question is what would happen next? Mm-hmm. That's what I ask myself every day in first draft. What would happen next? And then I try to think of what it is. Mm-hmm. And I try to write it down, even crappy. As Anne Lamott says, give yourself, let yourself write a shitty first draft. Yeah. Then the next day is, I try to do 2,000 words a day, but you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Then you go, okay, now what would happen next? That's chapter three. Mm-hmm. What would happen? And you end up, and then I say, all right, well, now you're going to introduce the character. What would happen to her? And it's, it's kind of amazing because you can make a whole... A whole book that way. It was my daughter who introduced me to that great E.L. Doctor quote. And he said something like, something about you can drive across the whole country. You don't have to know the trip just in the length of the headlights. That's really true. Mm-hmm. I've had 35 novels in 35 years, and I've proved that to myself every time. Doesn't mean you're not nervous. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, we're freaking out. You go, oh, my God, I can't believe you don't have an outline. All the cool kids have an outline. You just suck. But then you go, just Keep on. I always think of Churchill. I have a lot of dumb inspiration quotes, but I'll tell you them all. They're always um, when you're going through hell, keep going. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. The only way out is through. Figure it out what they would do. Don't worry about what's going to come ahead. Don't worry how that will. Don't worry about a damn thing about that. Mm-hmm. And amazingly, you are in a kind of a little spell and your brain, I swear to God, you're, so I'm getting so excited now. <laughs> you brings out me. <laughs> My uncon- your unconscious brain is going to work for you, baby. It is going to work for you. It's going to start throwing you stuff. Go, yeah, that's what they would do. Sometimes you walk the dog, right? I just mm-hmm. saw you looking for you. Go, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, well, that's what they would do. And and plus, like, um, and I, I'm stealing this from Harlan Coben told me this when he, he came to Cleveland once and we, and we did oh, like an event with him. He was great. He basically told, he said the same thing. He's like, he doesn't plot out his books. And his reason being, he's like, if I can keep myself 
interested in the next page and the next chapter, I know I can keep my readers. And he's like, if I don't know what's going to happen next, there's no way they're going to know what's going to happen next. And so he's like, right. I like right. figuring it out as I go, which I love. Yeah. You know, there's, I believe that. Yeah. You can always Your have, anxiety. it's so great. Yeah. You can always, nervousness. Have but you know, sometimes you got to get there yourself first. You do. And also, I do think it's, this is going to sound real kind of bs but the truth is characters that you make have agency. Mm-hmm. So you go, oh, that, that person, that's when you start to have like a narrative where I think this happened in loyalty. I heard it on the audiobook. I was like, that's not bad. Where somebody does something and it causes a reaction in other people. Like there's a lot of action in loyalty. So somebody sets a fire. Well, then the people around the people in the town go, that's a bad thing. It's going to change something we do. Now, I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. But after the fire, which was the natural thing this guy would do, then I go, wait a minute, they'd have a reaction to that. And that gives you the next thing. So in a way, character and plot are really the same thing. I've proved this to myself over and over. Yeah, They are what they do, and they start pinging off each other. And before you know it, you just have to kind of like ride them. And it really is like that. Sometimes I think, especially with this book, I've never driven a carriage. Like there's a, there's a lot of horse people who ride, do carriages, just like in movies. It's a sport. Mm-hmm. And they have to hold four reins in their hands. And I always think, I don't know if I could hold four reins in my hands, but this book, I have four main characters. I said, mm-hmm. You're just driving a carriage, kid. Don't, you know, people do it. They're not that much smarter than you. I, this is the kind of stuff I have to say to myself. And honestly, I think that's okay. I love it. We're all insecure. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to be respectful of time. I know you've been probably doing interviews all day. So I... Oh, this I always, is so fun. This is great. Awesome. Well, I always, I always have my conversations with, with one question. Basically, I want the author to give my listeners a recommendation. It can be a book. It does not have to be. But something you would recommend... Um, I've had people recommend certain TV shows. I've had people recommend going for a walk. It can be. I would recommend. Oh, going for a walk. I would say it could be anything you want to recommend. What I would recommend. I walk the dogs every day and I listen to an audio book. I would recommend going for a walk and listening to an audio book. And if you really want the kind of thing we're talking about, I think that Rick Rubin is called The Creative Way. It's not just for people who want to write. It's actually sort of saying how to live your life as an artist. But when I think about it, I think that's a pretty good way to live your life. Mm-hmm. It's really living your life in a mindful, thoughtful way, a place that is respect for yourself and for other people. Like all this good stuff that is kind of great. And honestly, I love like Mary Bateman wrote a book, Composing a Life. I love books like that. Mm-hmm. There's precious little about that in the world. So I, I think if you listen while you walk, I don't care what you listen to, but my recommendation would be listening and walking is so great. It's so good for your soul. It really is. Hey, I think that is perfect. Lisa, loyalty is so good. This was so much fun. I, I was, love you, Adam. Uh, you thank are a you. joy. You're just a joy. <laughs> you thank really you are. for joining me today. This was perfect. <laughs> thank uh, you. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. 
And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.